Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gass, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is Catherine Kinsey, our Education and Events Coordinator. Catherine, I got it right time yeah, today. Yeah, yeah that's job. awesome. I'm fine. Thank you. Fine. <laughs> um, so a couple things we wanted to talk about today. Uh, our dear friend, Senator Debbie Stabenow. Yes. Um, and uh, talk about a story you wrote. And then also we're going to get into uh, a series on abortion myths that we're doing. Let's start with let's start with our friend Debbie. Yeah. Um, so our people don't like <clears throat> Debbie Stabenow. No, no. A lot of people really don't like her. <laughs> to, to have maybe deserved extreme, but it's definitely extreme. Yeah, I don't know. Every time we talk about her, we always start start out that way. Yeah. People <laughs> don't like <laughs> Debbie Stabenow. Um, well, one of the reasons that people, at least that I know, don't like Senator Davy Stabenow is that when you write her a letter, when you give her some sort of communication and she writes back, uh, how to uh, put this, uh, it makes no sense sometimes. Yeah, right. Um, let's see. Makes no sense or she ignores the issue, she talks about something else, it's unrelated. Yeah. She kind of, it's almost a legend of how yeah. bad her constituent responses are. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, this time, sure, she really, really messed up with her constituent response. So, uh, of course, there we had the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. There was a vote in the U.S. Senate to end debate and then move to approval of it. And the, how many? I forget the number, but uh, yeah. enough... Senate Democrats who support abortion voted to filibuster. And so uh, this legislation that would protect infants who survive botched abortions is being filibustered in the United States Senate. Mm -hmm. And one of those people <clears throat> helping to make that happen uh, is Debbie Stabenow and, of course, our other Senator Gary Peters as well. So people are mad about that and yeah. should be mad. Uh, infanticide is an important issue, I would say. I would think so, yeah. Bit of an understatement, uh, and we should do some more to protect children who survive botched abortions. But that's not what Senator Debbie Stabenow believes. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people were very upset, and they emailed her, they called her, they sent her messages, and they got a response back that gets the law totally wrong. Just, not just slightly wrong, yeah. totally wrong. It was It was incredibly bad. <laughs> It was so bad, and, and you know, usually her responses are bad and it frustrates people, but it was so bad we had people contacting us wondering if they got something yeah. wrong. Because at least you can assume Debbie Stabenow is, is a smart lady that she can actually get the bill right the, if she's yeah. going to ignore it or pretend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so in this case, her response said to the effect that well, this, this bill really only deals with situations where women are facing uh, serious problems with their pregnancies. And these are all wanted children. Yeah, she specifically said they are wanted children, which that, that was very interesting to me. Yeah, so the title of the bill itself is very clear. It deals with children who survived a botched abortion. It doesn't matter if those children were wanted or not or if those children were healthy or not. And she got it. Totally wrong. Mm 
Yeah. That's not what the bill said at all. So it begs, well, we have to pose a question based on that. Did Senator Debbie Stabenow read the bill? Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I would have to assume yes, and that she was either purposely twisting it, or I just can't imagine that she wouldn't have read it, but I guess it's possible. There are a shocking number of legislators who don't actually read legislation, yeah. Catherine. And, and my personal instinct in this case is she didn't read the legislation at all, and she just went with whatever talking points were handed to her by Planned Parenthood's lobbyists or someone else. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. I guess, I guess you should have... I feel like she should have gotten at least a, a picture of what it should be from even the title of it, but, you know, that, that wouldn't stop her from going with those talking points for sure. Yeah, and with those talking points, you know, the abortion industry doesn't have any compunction about lying to the general public about their issues or deceiving them. It doesn't even have that problem with their supporters. So I have to imagine it doesn't have a problem either with deceiving their own elected officials. Right. And one of the other things that Debbie Stabenow really got wrong that we'll get into in a minute with the myth is uh, the idea that all late-term abortions are because there's some sort of health problem. Well, mm -hmm. that's not true. Yeah. No, it's not. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> and that dovetails right into talking about how the abortion industry just loves deceiving people. Mm -hmm. So if you got a response letter back on this from Debbie Stabenow and it doesn't make any sense, it's not you, <laughs> it's her. Yeah. And we have a response up on our blog that kind of makes sense of it to restore a little sanity for you. And uh, if you have other people confused about that, feel free to share that with them. All right. Uh, so you wrote a story uh, this week, well, it was published this week. Mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, I'll just say there's, there's a lot of people who've come to us wanting to share their personal stories in the wake yeah. of the whole New York law and everything, hasn't there been? Yeah, which is great. It is. Uh, you know, the other side, we'll get to in a minute with this, the other side appeals to emotion. It uses uh, exceptions and hard cases and personal stories and sometimes our side doesn't do that enough because, you know, of course, there's the side of the unborn child, which usually can't be told unless we have abortion survivors, who, by the way, do exist. Mm -hmm. Unlike some people were trying to say that's a, some kind of myth. And so uh, personal stories help people to understand, you know, that we're not some evil, knuckle-dragging, 90-year-old <laughs> men sitting in a corporate boardroom trying to control women. Yeah. Do you feel controlled, Catherine? No. Well, not no, I'm even, these people. <laughs> we don't even have a glass ceiling here. Our president's a woman. I'm trying to give you promotions in the podcast every every time. Yeah. Come on. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, your story was about a teacher mm -hmm. uh, from the east side of the state named Lauren Shate. And she came to us with her story... Why don't you tell it since you wrote it? Yeah, well, um, I mean, this kind of goes back to the whole idea of, you know, people having disabilities. I mean, a lot of our culture says maybe they won't have a worth it life, but um, she had 
juvenile rheumatoid arthritis mm -hmm. from a very young age and had to use a wheelchair and, and she's basically saying like no like my life is not worthless it's I mean I have a great life so yeah it's really disgusting how our culture is kind of turned against the disabled and it's very strange on the one hand you know we we try to celebrate it and uh, the Special Olympics mm -hmm. is so great and uh, you start to see children with Down syndrome taking on an, an ever-increasing uh, role in public. I, maybe you've seen stories lately about them being models or going to Congress to lobby mm -hmm. uh, or whatnot and uplifting stuff. But on the other <clears throat> hand, we have this subtle message that if you're not living your best life now, your life isn't worth living. Right. And it goes beyond um, genetic disabilities to, like in Lauren's case, uh, a health problem. And it's kind of interesting, you know, we work here and we, in a lot of ways, have to advocate for the disabled on a lot of fronts. Yeah. And, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast a lot. It's just amazing to me, too, all these uh, rare cases that are held out as exceptions and whatnot, you know, you, you actually learn a lot about all these rare conditions and mm -hmm. so um but i not really heard of juvenile uh rheumatoid arthritis which i guess is also called today juvenile idiopathic arthritis okay. um i feel like i kind of like dr house here <laughs> you ever watch house not not much but yeah just from working here one time i was able to diagnose a patient wow. on dr house faster <laughs> than those actors were oh, wow so Impressive. i should i should get a medical degree or something um and, and what really Lauren was talking about in this story is specifically Down syndrome and just hearing in the news that, uh, oh, Denmark and Iceland are eliminating Down syndrome. And you're an educated person on the street might think, oh, they found some way to prevent it or whatnot or something. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, no, it's, it's eliminating the disabled rather than eliminating the disability. Yeah. There's just a troubling history with that. You know, the 20th century, not even 100 years ago, still in living memory, we have prime examples of how euthanasia and uh, eugenics were used to uh, exterminate the disabled on a mass level. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's good we aren't necessarily doing that on the born ones. Well, um, at the end of life, we, mm -hmm. we see those problems. But now we have this massive problem at the beginning of life. And, you know, with Down syndrome, I think, what are statistics? More than 60% of them diagnosed in the womb in America are aborted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we as a culture want to send the message that everyone's life matters, that everyone's life is important, the culture can't also be sending a message that... Uh, only being uh, Jesse Smollett and being an important person that yep. can uh, get off <laughs> for <laughs> felonies is, is a life worth living. And then yeah. all us little little peons out here in the Fruited Plains, um, our lives matter and, and so does everyone, no matter what your health, condition, your disability, etc. Right. Right. All right, uh, so this kind of all goes in together with our discussion of abortion <clears throat> myths. And so just to preface this discussion, you know, I think it's really important 
a theme that I've kind of been trying to develop and I've kind of observed is uh, gaslighting. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're not familiar with what gaslighting means, uh, it comes from a story, uh, an old story where this husband uh, was trying to emotionally manipulate his wife and he would keep um, adjusting the, the gas light fixture and uh, she, so she would keep saying, hey, that the light is different and he'd be like, no, no, it's not different. And so um, gaslighting is a means for obtaining uh, manipulative control over someone's emotions mm -hmm. and whatnot so that the person becomes dependent on you for their view of reality. And yeah. so that's what gaslighting is. And I think the abortion movement, the abortion industry, I think their main public relations strategy is gaslighting. Yeah, absolutely. Would you Okay, you absolutely agree, <laughs> not even tentatively. I mean, it, it has to be, it has to be, uh, it's not like they accidentally do it or they're all deceived themselves, you know, they do it purposefully. Mm -hmm. And so, throughout the rest of 2019, every month, we're going to highlight one major abortion myth. Because if you've had a discussion about abortion with people, if you look at how abortion's covered in the news or talked about by elected officials, I don't want to say 100% of the time there is a bad assumption or uh, something that's deceptive, or a, a fact that isn't actually a fact involved, but 100% of the time that's the yeah, case. Yeah, pretty, pretty accurately, 100%, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that is, I think, by design. So our first myth that we looked at here in March was, uh, and is very incredibly relevant, mm -hmm. uh, given what we've talked about in the podcast today, but just what we're dealing with legislatively and in here in Michigan and whatnot, is you're all, you'll often hear in abortion discussions that, just like Debbie Stabenow said, that every late-term abortion, or they'll use different verbiage, but basically all late-term abortions are because the woman has a health problem or their child has a health problem. Fake news, right. Catherine. <laughs> Not true. Fake news. And I, I can understand why this myth is so appealing to people because even people who support <clears throat> abortion uh, find that abortion in the later terms of pregnancy, especially after the point of viability where the child can out, uh, survive outside the womb, even a person who's deceived themselves into thinking that we can still take the life of that child, it's really hard for them to shut off their conscience totally when they can picture this baby as a newborn. Mm -hmm. um, and the baby can survive outside the womb. Even they, there's something in them that says... Well, there must be some reason. or yeah. Right, right. And so they think, yeah, there must be some reason. There must be some exception. The idea to them that women at, say, 24, 28, 30 weeks of pregnancy is just going in and having an abortion for for whatever reason is, is horrifying to them. But in the abortionist issue, the horror is the reality. Yeah. So, and we had a perfect example of this myth. You know, mm -hmm. we just posted this on our blog, and then uh, Planned Parenthood's new president, Leanna Wen, went on to The Daily Show mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Trevor Noah, and they were talking about abortion, and she said that late-term abortions are because of, there's a health reason. And so even the plan, and that brings up an interesting debate. You know, we talked about, did Debbie Stabenow read the bill? Does she know what she's doing? Did she lie? 
she might have lied. She might have just been deceived right. herself. Um, does the Planned Parent, the president of Planned Parenthood, know? And we'll get into this in a second. That research from her own movement, from the research organization that Planned Parenthood supports, says that most late-term abortions are for elective reasons. Do you think that a Leanna Wen uh, is aware of this research and just decided to go lie to people on the Daily Show, which the previous president was happy to do? Yeah. Because she said they do mammograms when they don't. Right. Um, I would I would like to think the president knows what services are actually provided at an organization. So do you think that Leanna Wen lied to people, or do you think that Leanna Wen, who uh, doesn't really have a background in the abortion industry, she just kind of had a background in um, public health and politics, do you think that she just buys the talking point and no one at Planned Parenthood has told her, oh, actually our research shows that what you said was... <laughs> It is hard to know. I mean... Uh, Malevolence or incompetence? It could really go either way, I feel like. I'm leaning towards the second, though. I don't know. What You're leaning you? towards incompetence <laughs> yeah. or malevolence? Incompetence. Incompetence. I, I would like to think that even our people who support abortion would still want to be honest, but as I said, the gaslighting happens so often that uh the simplest solution is they're just lying i mean obviously someone's lying if it's not her i mean she's yeah well yeah well now that's interesting now um so first let's talk about how what the research says and then we'll go into a little bit um about the clever ways they get people to believe this myth <laughs> and so um if you look at the research uh, there hasn't been a lot done on the topic, and I think that's by design mm -hmm. uh, because they know the facts on the ground that most <clears throat> of late-term abortions are for elective reasons. Therefore, it doesn't do them a lot of good to actually track down all these women um, and then actually report on hard percentages, like say 70% mm -hmm. of these abortions were for elective reasons, for example, because that just feeds into our point. Right. And uh, then I'll, to be fair, there is a little difficulty, you know, women having late-term abortions uh, probably don't want to be talked to and talk about their reasons, especially if they're there for elective reasons, right. um, as much as others. But there has been some research done on it. Mm -hmm. So right now I have in my hands a copy of the wonderful Right to Life of Michigan news. <laughs> and one of the front page stories was uh, titled, Why Do Women Have Abortions? Mm -hmm. And so it's helpful, uh, helpful reference. So yeah. uh, if you're out there and you don't get the RLM news, let us know. <laughs> you should be a member so you get one. Um, but the Alan Guttmacher Institute uh, published a study uh, in 2013, uh, and the study title was "Who Seeks Abortion at or After 20 Weeks." Now, um, a little background. So the Alan Guttmacher Institute. In earlier uh, podcasts, like years ago, we've talked about this in depth. But the Alan Guttmacher Institute is uh, formally involved, was formerly a uh, specific part of Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. It's been spun off. I speculate that some of the money um, in Planned Parenthood's annual report that has a kind of funky title, 
like service to the field of plan, uh, family planning yep. um, is actually the money that they give to the Guttmacher Institute. <laughs> so they used to say, we give the money, and then for some reason they wanted to spin it off so they could seem more independent. Yeah. But I think nothing really changed, and they still give them the same amount of money. It just has a different title, <laughs> which would be right up Planned Parenthood's alley, right. changing titles of things in their annual report. Um, and so uh, Alan Guttmacher Institute is closely connected to Planned Parenthood, it's a pro-abortion organization. Even though the media cites them as independent, even though we use their abortion statistics, uh, they are an arm of the abortion industry. Mm -hmm. Now, in this, the study authors are using uh, data that they have uh, collected in depth and used in a lot of different studies you see. And uh, the authors ask, well, you know, why do women seek abortion after mm -hmm. 20 weeks? Now, uh, the, the study authors... And I, I keep wanting to say that they're pro-abortion because you you can show this study to people who support abortion and they won't believe it. Yeah. They will confabulate a reason why this study is wrong. Uh, they'll say, oh, the researchers didn't look at that or the data that they used is wrong, even though that data is used in like every abortion study yeah. now that they would happily cite. <laughs> Elsewhere. The, yeah, no, it's like uh, they would say, oh, this abortion study is great. Oh, but this abortion study is wrong. But it uses same the same people. data. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, that's hard. That's, uh, you, you have to get into, into an in-depth discussion with a person to start talking yes. about the data. But anyway. Uh, the, the study authors are frankly forced to admit, and this is a direct quote from the study, that the data suggests that most women seeking later terminations are not doing so for reasons of fetal anomaly or life endangerment. So they're straight up saying that we know yeah. from the data that we do have that most abortions are not for reasons of the child having a health problem or disability or the woman's life is being threatened. Which I'm surprised they even did say that, you know. <laughs> I'm surprised too. I'm really surprised. Um, now, what the what they do with the study after that point is they try to say, well, uh, even though that's not the case, there's all these other bad reasons that mm -hmm. uh, are the fault of pro-life people that women have right. uh, late-term abortions anyway. But they studied, so they, what their study did is they surveyed women um, who were willing to participate and they asked them the reason that you had basically your elective abortion. Mm -hmm. And um, they said they fit one of five profiles. And this is the five profiles they gave and, and found in the study. They were raising children alone, were depressed or using illicit substances, were in conflict with a male partner or experiencing domestic violence, had trouble deciding and then had access problems, or were young and nulli, nulli paris, which means they had uh, multiple children. Mm -hmm. So now we can sympathize with... Uh, you know, a woman who has a lot of children and may be struggling, a woman who's, uh, you know, in deep depression, a woman who's being subjected to domestic violence, um, a woman who uh, is conflicted about her pregnancy, or uh, a young woman who has a lot of children. There's some difficulties there, but uh, killing a child that can survive outside the womb, just like killing, say, one of their uh, newborns or toddlers, is not a good option. Yeah, it's not the solution. No, it's not the solution. Uh, killing people is not an acceptable solution to uh, any problem. Right. Innocent people don't deserve to be killed. Straight up. Yeah. And if you look at po opinion polling, most people would not support even first trimester abortion for those reasons. 
and they certainly don't support third trimester abortions for those reasons. So, or even second trimester, right. which 20 weeks is kind of in the middle of the second trimester. So there you go. I mean, that's plain as day. Even the pro-abortion researchers say that most late-term abortions are for elective reasons. Now they would say, oh, well, that's not really elective, but, but that's what they say. Yeah. But the problem is how they talk about, how they might, even these own researchers might turn around and talk about it in the media. They would say, well, many women who have late-term <laughs> abortions or often women who have late-term abortions are facing these situa uh, situations where the child has a disability or um, there's some health problem, which, by the way, we don't think disabled children right. should be treated any differently than um, able children. Well, what is many? What is often? Right. What, what do those mean? You know, there's, if there's uh, about 10, 12,000 abortions after 20 weeks in the United States every year, if a thousand of those are because the child has a disability, I mean, is that many? I mean, no. <laughs> Even though it's less than 10% of those abortions, that's, that's still many, right? Right. Often? I don't know. Um, these are subjective terms. Notice what they, they don't say most. The ones that are being yeah. honest. Leanna Wen will just straight up and say that, oh, these abortions are for this reason. Uh, but the, the honest ones, they're very clever, and they'll say many or often instead of most. And so right. the message that your average person gets from hearing this message over and over and over, uh, which is regurgitated in the media, mm -hmm. is that, well, this is the reason that there uh, are late-term abortions. And this is the only, and the only reasons that they talk about are because there's a health problem with the child or there's some problem with, uh, with the woman. Yeah. If that's all you hear over and over, it's understandable why you might think otherwise. But uh, the, I fault the media most of all because they treat uh, the abortion industry, even abortionists, as dispassionate, independent yeah. uh, people. <laughs> well, no, they make money from abortion. These people are not independent. Right. So... The problem is people hear this and they uh, are the emotional reason to support abortion. Mm -hmm. The real problem is when you get into a discussion like this and you can show them that study, they don't believe it. Right. And so they confabulate a reason. They come up with, they construct some sort of scenario, uh, fantasy, that, it, that solves this cognitive dissonance for them and explains how... Um, you know, pro-abortion researchers are finding that late-term abortions are mostly elective, but uh, all late-term abortions are not elective. <laughs> um, you know, logically doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense with the data. They love to use that term science, but social yeah. science research here shows they're wrong. They just, they just confabulate a reason. So they say, oh, the study is wrong, or... Um, you know, the data is wrong or these researchers didn't, don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you could try to challenge them on each of those points. And like, well, if this data is wrong, how come you're using this data to argue that? Or if this researcher doesn't know what they're talking about, why are you listening to them on this issue? Or you can, you can get into that nitty gritty with them, but they just kind of, they're, they're just emotionally yeah. incapable of accepting the fact that late-term abortions... Most of them are for elective reasons. Yeah. So what are we supposed to do, Catherine? How do we fix uh, it? I don't know. 
I, I think if a person is to the point they're confabulating um, excuses and they're denying reality, I don't think there's a lot you can do right. except work on them. Um, but I think most people wouldn't fall for that. Right. The problem is they never hear that the fact that most late-term abortions are for elective reasons. And so I guess then the solution is we need to talk about Keep it more. Keep talking about it. And yeah. we need to learn about it more. And so uh, go to our blog, go to go get our RLM, go be a member, go get our RLM news, <laughs> uh, read about this, learn about this myth, and then when you see it come up um, online, if you hear it come up in a conversation, push back uh, professionally, right. gently, uh, but give them the facts. And then yes. I guess all you can do is plant a seed yeah. and hope it grows. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again in two weeks. Have a wonderful weekend.